Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, um, you can write this at the top as your title. Stop shushing me. <laughs> Stop shushing me. Uh, my wife Gretchen and I have three kids, and uh, they're, they're all essentially in their teenage years now, but once upon a time, they were like really, really small uh, kids. And I brought a picture just to prove that they were little once and to remind my wife and I how, how adorable they were. Look at Zeke, like look at his little smile. And uh, I'm holding him in place by his head because he was very hyper then and uh, he would have ran off during these pictures. And uh, this is from our family pictures a long time ago. And one of the things I remember about this age and time, especially like Zeke, but I remember this with all three of the kids is that maybe some of you that are parents remember this stage. Remember when before your kids learned to talk and you were just like, oh man, like I can't wait until they can talk. And they said their first word and you were so excited slash a little bit bitter that it was mom instead of dad, but like you got it and you couldn't wait. And then they, they started talking. And then at like a year later, you were like, dear God, how do we shut these kids up? Uh, because kids talk a lot, right? Once they figure out how to do it, they're like, this is fun, and they just go. And they talk so much, they have a ton of questions about a lot of different things, and they have no filter. And sometimes this gets you and them in trouble. I remember when my kids were about this age, uh, the boys was at the, uh, the store, and uh, we were at Trader Joe's, a hot spot for the Smith family. And we were shopping around, and one of my kids was staring at this guy, who was like, I'm telling you, like probably six feet away. We're shopping, he's shopping over there, and wearing like, uh, the, the shirt had like a couple little holes in it, and uh, the, the, you know, the pants were a little disheveled, and one of my kids, I mean, I assumed it was a fashion choice, you know what I mean? Um, one of my kids, my boys, just really loudly pointed and goes, why is he wearing that? Is he a poor person? And if you've ever had this experience with your kids before, one of the worst things about kids when they first start talking, they have no volume control. It's all yelling. It's yell talking. And so everyone in the whole Trader Joe's can hear. It's like one of those moments where the record scratches and like everyone just looks over at you. And it's so awkward. I, I hated this moment, right? And if this ever happened to you, I, I don't know what you did. Like in the moment, my gut reaction was just to be like, <laughs> who is this kid? And then just walk away. And just abandon them in the stir fry aisle. Why is there a whole aisle for that Trader Joe's? I don't know, but there is. I didn't do that, of course, but like I, I hate like the judgmental looks, the frustrated looks on people's faces. And I think like when we hear things like this, we cringe in a different sort of way than kids do. Like kids have no problem asking certain questions because they don't yet know that certain conversations are taboo. And what I think is interesting is the older you get, the more you realize a lot of those taboo conversations revolve around money. And that's why in moments like this, we tend to sort of, you know, like kind of awkwardly laugh and nervously like pull our kid aside and, and whisper yell. If you're a parent, you got to get good at whisper yelling, right? You whisper yell something like, we don't say stuff like that. And if you're one of my kids, uh, that's a little bit sassy, uh, you might say back, 
stop shushing me. Because every time they want to bring something up after that, they're like, shh, you ever like had someone that was shushing so loudly it was more obnoxious than the thing that the person was saying? And I could fall into this camp because I'm just like, I don't want to talk about this right now with you. It's embarrassing. And I, I bring this up because I think this is the message that a lot of kids receive about money growing up, that it's really important, but it's also inappropriate to talk about. Like we shouldn't mention it in public. People get really Weird, which is confusing. And when you tell a kid not to talk about something, not to think about something, not to ask questions about something, what do they want to do? Exactly that. They're curious. They're full of questions. A few years back, there was this New York Times reporter who uh, asked sort of the general public to submit questions that their kids had asked them recently about money. And so many entries like came in, and these were like some of the ones that came in like way more than once. Why is that person asking for money at red lights? Shouldn't we give our second car to someone who doesn't have one? Are we poor? How come we don't get to go to Europe? <laughs> who makes more, mom or dad? Is it because he's smarter? Oof. Are people who don't have nice clothes just lazy? Who do we know that's rich? Can we be friends with them better? Why do you say puppies are so expensive? They just need love. Some kids in here are like, that is a good argument. I like that. Are we going to run out of lunch and snacks because you lost your job? Like, there are thousands of questions that parents submitted. And typically, if you hear questions like this and... Uh, a lot of us do over time, the response of the adults around them is like, uh, you know, that's none of your business, okay? You don't really need to worry about that kind of stuff. But the reality of it is, feeling financially secure is the business of children, to actually feel like they are safe and secure. And the reason they're asking questions a lot of times is because they are already worried about it. Sometimes we don't wanna breach the subject with our kids because we're nervous we're going to create worry, and yet they're already worried. And brushing them off gives them no place to put their worry about money. A lot of kids just internalize it, and that anxiety begins to sort of shape how they see the world. And maybe this is what happened in part to you. A lot of us, you know, we're older now, and we don't want to talk about money uh, with really anyone, because when we were growing up, it was always a fight. Like, that's what we witnessed, we remember our parents arguing and taking verbal jabs at each other when one of them sort of found out what another one of them spent and it just spun out of control. And we don't want that kind of friction and tension in our lives now. And I think for a lot of us, what we internalize from moments like this where every conversation around money is tense is that you know money is a problem and there is never ever gonna be enough of it and there's no way to talk about it without everyone involved getting angry, escalating quickly, and responding explosively, followed by days of tense silence. And some of you are like, wow, that was my childhood. Yeah, that was how it went. And it sort of leaves us with this sense that talking about money is too touchy. Some of us were like, talk about money with my kids. I'm not even sure it's safe to talk about money with my partner. And so we don't. 
But the thing of it is, not talking about money actually makes tension around money worse. And we now have data on uh, a, a couple generations of kids whose parents didn't talk to them about money as these kids have grown up. They've gathered their financial framework from peers and commercials and social media and pop culture. And now most of us, I don't know if you knew I was talking about you, most of us, right, we find ourselves not prepared to live in the world financially. We live paycheck to paycheck. Most people statistically are up to their eyeballs in debt, constantly stressed about money, and this causes problems. Money fights are one of the number one causes of divorce in our country. It's a big deal. And I think this is, in some part, the reason that some of us don't wanna talk to our family about money, especially our kids. Because if we're honest, we don't know what we're doing. And so what are we even gonna say to them? Or we don't wanna admit that we are not doing what we think we should be doing. We're just making it up as we go along. We are crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. And this is why I, I sort of start here during this series, is I think that most people have never really stopped to think about their philosophy of money. In fact, if somebody asked you, like, what is your philosophy of money? You'd probably be like, I don't, I don't know that I have one. And that's not true. Um, everybody has a philosophy of money, whether you have chosen it or not. In reality, if you don't determine your own philosophy of money, you default to your cultures. And for a lot of this, this is sort of where we are. And just to make you feel really uncomfortable, this is sort of the philosophy of money in our current culture. It's that poor people aren't happy. And because of that, like I need to make as much as I possibly can to buy everything I need to feel good and to fit in. What's important is looking good, having fun, and doing whatever you want, and there's always something bigger and better to go after. And so if you're not grinding for more, there's probably something wrong with you, and if you can't afford it, that's what credit's for. And I wonder, like, without raising your hand um, to make it real uncomfortable, just in your own heart, like, how many of you are just like, I feel uncomfortable with how accurately that describes maybe the way I see money. I think a lot of us, we quietly live by this philosophy without meaning to. We just sort of default to it, we adapt to it. But we, when we read it, when we look at it, we hate what it says about us. And I, I think if you are in this place where this is sort of how you see money, this has come to be your philosophy of money, you may be thinking like, well, I, I, like, I don't like what that says about me. And also, I didn't, I didn't choose this. I didn't set out to be this way. And I believe you. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about sort of this, this phenomenon of finding ourselves caring about and valuing and building our life around something that we never intended to. He says this in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Essentially, Paul is saying this, that like in our lives, in every area of our lives, we really only have two options. We can conform or we can transform. 
Like we're always doing one or the other in every environment. We're either conforming to what everything around us and everyone around us is doing, or we are actively transforming into who God wants us to be, how God thinks and how God is challenging us to live. Um, And the reason why most of us end up in sort of a conforming posture is that conforming happens naturally. You don't even have to try. You just naturally become like the people around you. But transforming is different. It takes focus and energy. But I got to tell you, if you don't choose the way of Jesus, you will transform, you will conform to the, the way of your culture, which I think has happened to a lot of us. We have gradually sort of conformed to our culture's philosophy of money. We're surrounded by it. And it tends to push us towards materialism and comparison and selfishness and greed, which if I pulled you are probably not your top goals in life. And yet we end up there. And Paul says in this verse that in order to change that, you've got to participate with God to renew your mind which is to allow him to align your philosophy of life and specifically your philosophy of money with his. And the result is a full life. So the big question is, what is God's philosophy of money? And I would tell you, if you wanna know what God thinks, look at what Jesus said on any subject because Jesus is sort of the spokesperson for God, God's representative in human form. And Jesus preaches his longest sermon about money in Matthew chapter six, and I'm gonna read you a giant chunk of it today. Um, In fact, uh, when I say long sermon about money, this may surprise you, but Jesus actually talked more, spent more time in the gospels talking about money than he does about heaven, which is interesting, because some of us are like, I feel like I've heard a lot more sermons about heaven than money, and yet Jesus seemed to think it was a big deal to talk about, and it was something we needed to get our philosophy of Correct. And so we're going to begin at the beginning of his money portion of the sermon. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you're reading along and trying to believe that I'm not making these verses up, they're actually in the Bible. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And Jesus is essentially saying this, that there are two categories that we can spend or invest our money in. And the first is essentially just things that don't last, right? which he classifies as anything that can be eaten, stolen, or rot, right? And, and that's most things, okay? You can eat, steal, or allow to rot most things on earth. But then there's a category of things that do last. And Jesus spends his entire ministry elaborating on what these things are, showing people how valuable they are, pointing people to the love of God, like, uh, pulling the lonely into community, gut laughing with a circle that really gets you and understands you, serving people in need, helping people battle and exit addiction, giving opportunities to people and people groups that have been overlooked. And essentially what Jesus is saying is, these things, when you invest your life in these things, they cannot be taken away from you. Because essentially what you're doing is, you are giving people small slivers of heaven, 
You are giving them the experience of what life was meant to be like. And heaven always echoes into eternity. And then he says this. He says, you know, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Or where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Some translations do that. And essentially what he's saying here is, whatever you contribute to, you will care about. Whatever you contribute to, you will care about. And this means a couple things. That you can tell what's most significant to people by what they spend money on. Like, for instance, I asked your wife for your spending record. You right there. And what she said was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Some of us would be mortified to know that because uh, it, it points to what we actually care about and maybe some of those things aren't things we want people to know we care about. So the first thing is that you can tell a lot about what somebody values by the way they spend their money. And also, you can train yourself to care more about something by contributing more to that something. You can direct your heart with the way that you spend your money, which is a powerful thought. Then Jesus goes on. He says this in verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Now, this sounds really cryptic, and that's kind of because it is. There's a lot of ancient wordplay and, and euphemism going on here, but essentially what he's saying is the lens you look at life through will essentially shape everything you do. And we all have sort of a lens that we look at all of life through. In other words, we have a, a philosophy of life, right? We have a certain framework that we believe in or that we build our existence off of. And Jesus is like, because the way you see things changes how you do everything, we need to work on the way you see things. And if the way you see money conforms to our culture, you are gonna feel about it and you are gonna spend it the same way everybody else in our culture does. But if you take on God's philosophy of money, which is really based in his philosophy of life, it bleeds into every area of your life. If you really truly follow Jesus as the center of your existence, it shapes the way you spend and save, where you invest, the job you take, um, how you work at that job, the places that you shop at, the way you see other people, it begins to transform everything about the way you do everything. Then Jesus says this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So just to clarify, because we don't use this word much anymore for good reason, but a master is someone or something that gives orders and sets boundaries. It is the thing that is steering someone's life. And Jesus is like, be honest with yourself and the people around you what or who your real master is. Because when you start doing some soul searching for some of us, it is not what we wish it were. And I gotta tell you, if the, the, the main reason you honor God is so he'll multiply your money, you are not serving God. You are trying to manipulate God into helping you serve money. And you should know that God cannot be manipulated because he knows your heart. And unfortunately, when God is asking us to trust him, a lot of us are like, yeah, yeah, but like, I would trust you if you could just give me money and then I'll trust that. And he's like, no, you, you wanna just trust the money. You don't really want to trust 
in me, but a lot of us do. We trust money over God to give us what we need and protect us from what we're afraid of, but it, it doesn't really work. It seems to leave us hollow, and we just assume that it's because we need a little bit more. Then in verse 25, he says this, that, what I just said, is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And then he goes on a, a big rant where he says a bunch of stuff about birds and flowers that sounds like poetry from a guy who lied to get a miracle medical marijuana card. <laughs> Look at the birds, man. But it's, 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 if you put it in context, it's beautiful. But then he sort of summarizes what he's saying. He's like, don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In other words, essentially what Jesus is saying here is don't let your fears, your money fears, determine your direction in life. Do not let your money fears determine your direction in life. And for a lot of us, that is what's calling the shots. Our fear of not having enough money is making most of the decisions in our life. And essentially what Jesus says is, here's why you shouldn't do that. Do you know who does that? Because there are certain types of people that do that. People that don't believe in God. People that don't trust God. People who aren't truly following Jesus. That's convicting. I'm sure it would have gotten as quiet when Jesus originally said it as it is in here right now. And then Jesus gives his big idea, the, the thesis of like his old money talk. He says this in Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And he's saying this, build a relationship with God live according to his values and invest in bettering the lives of other people and God will make sure all of your basic needs are covered. And the subtext here is something I hope you grab hold of today, that the more you do what God is asking of you, the less interested you become in owning a bunch of stuff, impressing your neighbors, obsessing over your next upgrade or having the newest version of something. And why? Because if you do what God is asking you to do and you live how Jesus is leading you to live, you become fulfilled. So you don't need to fill this hole because it's already been filled with the one thing that can actually quench it. You're focused on and investing in what matters most. You're living on purpose, with a purpose, and impacting other people. And it makes us less susceptible to advertising and comparison. It makes us less susceptible to needing all this stuff to feel okay. And, and I would say, part of the reason why I wanted to begin this series with this section is not only is it sort of Jesus' whole philosophy of money packed in tight, but I, I think I wanted to read it because it is uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I think it is impossible to live in our current culture, hear Jesus' view of money, and not feel challenged by it because it is so drastically different than the way our society works and everyone in our society lives and what social media and advertising are screaming at us constantly. 
And why would we listen to Jesus' countercultural way of being? Because what we're doing isn't working. We can look around and see that. We may sense it in our own lives. The reality of this, the more we chase the American dream, the more miserable most of us are. And Jesus is offering an alternative path. And this is the thing that you really need to understand this morning. The promise that Jesus makes, the promise that God makes to us, isn't that if you handle money his way, he's gonna give you a lot more money. That's the prosperity gospel, and it's not consistent with what Jesus actually teaches. What Jesus promises is if you handle money God's way, you'll find fulfillment. And that's what you're ultimately after. Because if you're only handling money God's way so God will give you more money, you're serving money, not God. And you won't find fulfillment because there is no fulfillment in constantly chasing more. Fulfillment comes from aligning what we actually value with the way we live our everyday lives. Having there be a consistency with what you say you care about and how you make your decisions and how you program your everyday. And a lot of us, we feel out of sorts because there is a disconnect between what we value and the way we live. If most of us are honest, what we say we value and the way we spend are often at odds with one another. But to change it, you have to have an honest conversation about it. And as we already established in the introduction, we don't want to talk about it because that gets uncomfortable. And so we don't. And I would just tell you, if you don't reflect on, have conversations about, and attempt to practice Jesus' philosophy of money, you will conform to the values of our culture and it will directly result in you becoming materialistic and your kids becoming spoiled which is why not only do you need to do it, you've got to include them in the process. You've got to have conversations with them. You've got to discuss your values around money with them. You have to train them to see money God's way because there are a lot of other forces around them that are begging them to conform instead of transform. And when you involve your kids, you're going to find that, that they're going to ask a lot of questions because that's what kids do. Don't brush them off. Engage them at their age and stage level, which is probably a lot more advanced than you're assuming it is. And here's the best thing I think you can say to your kids uh, to money questions. Like one patent answer that is super helpful, and this is what it is. No matter what your kid asks you about money, or really anybody else for that matter, Right? is to ask them another question in return. Why do you ask? Because oftentimes, if you're like me, my kids will ask me a question about money and I make an assumption about what they think in that moment, what they wanna know. They're like, how come we don't do this? And I'm like, they think I'm not a good provider. They think that I'm a horrible parent. They thought, and that's not it at all. And I'm like, why do you ask? And they're like, oh, because I, I, I hate that. I, I, I'm glad that we don't do that. Oh, a lot of times, uh, we have no idea like why a kid is actually asking the question, and so we're answering according to the wrong, the, the, the wrong heart behind things. 
why kids are often asking these is different why we think they're asking. But the point is we need to talk about money. And here's the ultimate reason why. Because every conversation about money is ultimately a conversation about values. And you and your kids need to be clear on what yours are. But going there makes us nervous. And I think a lot of us, we don't want to answer our kids' questions about money and how we spend money because we're not sure that we like the answers that we would give if we were honest. But I got to tell you, until you're willing to look at it and have an open conversation about it, it will not change. So here's my challenge to you this week. And you're not going to like it, but it's going to really help you. And, and I'm going to do this too um, this week. To sit down with your most recent bank statement or your credit card statement or whatever and make a list of what values you see in your spending. And then I want you to ask yourself, does this paint an accurate picture of what I want my values to be? Like, is this really... Is this telling the story? Like if somebody else got a hold of this thing and they were like, I would assume that these are the top four things you care about. Are those the top four things that I want to care about? Or have I just conformed to the values of my culture? And I would tell you, there's nothing you can do about changing the life you're living until you become familiar and you become honest with yourself about the life you are actually living, the way you are actually spending and what it is actually saying. There are times where I've sat down and looked at what we spent on certain things and just thought, oh man, is that really what we spent on that? Did someone steal our credit card? Is this really all us? Because if it is, it means we care more about what people think about us than I want to. It means that I've prioritized this over that in a way that I, I, I don't want to. It means that the values that I am passing down to my kids are not things I want them to be because I'm trying to like store up all these things here on earth that I think are gonna make me feel good and make people like me and make people see me in a certain way, achieve a certain lifestyle, be able to make other people jealous or impress them. But in reality, that's not ultimately what matters. And if you begin to look at your values or what money and the way you spend is telling you about your values and you don't like it, you can change. It may be time for you to adjust your financial philosophy. And I would suggest using Jesus's because he's my guy, okay? I really think he knows what he's talking about. And we are gonna unpack what Jesus says to do about money and how Jesus says to leverage our money to live stories that matter and make a difference, to achieve fulfillment as opposed to just beating somebody out next to us in the rat race. And as you reflect on your spending this week and what it's saying, I wanna give you something to help you um, in that way. I wanna give you a meditation and um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit long, so maybe you just take a picture of it or uh, you, if you have access to the slides, you can grab those uh, through our Instagram account and the link tree there. Um, you can download this. But I wanna give you a meditation and I really just wanna close today by, by reading this to you as a prayer 
to you. This is a way of posturing your heart to receive from and to have God change your mindset. And it's, it's, it's based on Psalm 119, 33 through 40. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do. I want everyone in here just to close your eyes and just to listen. And as I'm saying these words out loud, I wanna just invite you to, to think them in your mind and to internalize them, to agree with this prayer in your own heart for your own life. Here's the meditation. Jesus, teach me your ways and I will practice them. Tell me the truth and I'll believe it. Help me walk in your wisdom. Where fulfillment is found is there. Empower me to crave what's good for me. Keep me from obsessing over what I wanna buy next. Show me your vision for my life and give me the courage to start and stick with healthy habits and ultimately fix my attention on your faithfulness. And with your eyes still closed, I wanna invite you this week as you're repeating this over and over again to yourself and you're looking at what you're doing that you would see the discrepancies, that the Holy Spirit would highlight to you, like where, what you want to be, who you want to be, and the way you spend is different, so that he can begin to transform how you live. Because I gotta tell you, the fulfillment you were desperate for is found in matching up and aligning what you truly value and how you live your every day. God, I thank you for every person in this place. I thank you for their willingness to, to sit and listen and to approach your words and your wisdom with an open heart. God, there are some things that you speak to us that are way harder to hear than others. And today is a difficult message to hear. And God, I pray that as we walk away from this place, that as we do the homework, that you would highlight to our heart what we need to do in order to sync our value system with you. And may we find as we do it, the fulfillment we have always been searching for because your way leads to life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.